You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Do you have more month at the end of your money? Get yourself a lower monthly payment, pay off all your credit card debt, and even skip your next two house payments at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. It's no cost, no obligation, and we're licensed in more than 40 states. Get a quick quote right now. Find out how much money you can save for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Thompson, and you're listening to Arn right here on Westwood One. And of course, our host, the man of the hour, is the founder of the Four Horsemen, the enforcer himself, the Hall of Famer, Double A, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? Doing great. Doing great. Glad to be doing this podcast once again. Man, I am too. Uh, I think all of us are going a little stir crazy. Things are uh, sort of out of sorts, but I'm glad that we continue to be able to do this. You're broadcasting from the comfort of your home, and I am from mine. And uh, we're the we're a constant. We're not going anywhere. So while a lot of other things may be different or canceled, you can count on us every single week and every other week. You can count on you can count on us to do a hashtag Ask Arn, and this is no different. We're gonna jump right into it i gotta tell you though i got really good feedback from last week's episode just a random pay-per-view from 10 years ago and i think people were sort of intrigued on your take on a more modern wwe product and we've got more of that in store next week when we visit a pay-per-view from 2015 this should be uh, fun to say the least well again it's just opinion and we all got one mine may have a little different slant because i was there but a lot of stuff, uh, even though I'm backstage, I'm roaming around. I'm not really paying that close attention. And some some stuff I'm really tuned into. So, as usual, I will do my very best from recollection, and uh, we'll go from there. We've got uh, lots of that on deck this year. I've actually mapped out the rest of 2020, and we've got a full schedule now. Usually, I just do that a month or two out. But because we're all sort of stuck at home, I was able to finish it out for the whole year. And we've got a ton of fun stuff from 2010 and 2015. And we're going to round out the year revisiting a 20 year old Starcade from Starcade 2000, the very last Starcade we would ever see under the WCW banner. But we've got tons of bonus stuff coming your way on adfreeshows.com. Uh, some highlights, some lowlights. Aren't I haven't even sort of shared what's on the docket. Can I run you through these and uh, sort of give you a tease of, of what we're going to be doing here on the show? You bet. How about NWA pro from April of 88, where Arn and Tully win the belts. That'll be a, a sort of hurrah, a fun one. Uh, that's coming up in April in May. It'll be Slamboree 93 where you wrestle Barry Windham. I think this is your only world title shot. Do I have that right? 
Yep. Sure. It sure was. So that's sort of the best of times in June. Well, maybe it's a little more at worst of times. We're going to revisit great American bash 95 where unbelievably you lost the television title to renegade. I'm sure you're not really exactly thrilled to go relive that one. Well, how you take the bad with the good and, uh, we'll go back and feel our way through it. July though. It's more of the good. The very first war games, 1987, was there more memorable war games than the first one? The match beyond, I mean, it really captivated the imagination. Did it not? Yeah. Cause everybody that stepped through that cage didn't know what to expect. None of us knew the way it was going to shake out and, uh, you got to live it and you got to be in one of those matches before you can truly get a feel for it. And that's what we'll go back and try to recapture. August, we're going to revisit a uh, tag title win on clash of the champions where you guys picked up a win over, uh, Steve Austin and Brian Pillman, the Hollywood blondes. And of course, when I say you guys, I mean, one of your favorite tag team partners, Mr. Paul Roma clash of the champions title win over Austin Pillman. That's a pretty fucking big time deal. You better believe it. And not knowing where Austin was going to go at that time, he was already on his way. You know, it uh, makes it even bigger. September, we're going to revisit Halloween Havoc 1996. I think that's your last pay-per-view match. Do I have that right? With Luger? Uh-huh. Yep, absolutely. Las Vegas, that's that's when I really figured out um, my career was teeter-tottering on the way on the backside. October, you know, Halloween, I feel like we should do something fun. How about Chamber of Horrors 1991, the crazy cage match where you electrocuted Abdul the Butcher Dude, this is some silly shit here, is it not? Well, you know, in life, there are a lot of pleasures that you have. Getting to electrocute Abdullah the Butcher has got to be top of the list. (laughs) November, (laughs) our bonus show will be Starcade 87. That's a fun show. And then a rather interesting show will round out the year as a bonus episode at adfreeshows.com. Starcade 1990, Ric Flair under a hood. That, uh... Yeah, that seems like a fever dream, but it happened. By the way, you can get this show and all of these bonus shows that we've been running through uh, early and ad-free only at adfreeshows.com. If you haven't already, uh, make plans to join us. We're even going to try some technologically challenging things where we watch these shows with Arn. Of course, you'll be watching from your house. I'll be watching from mine. And Aaron will probably help us figure out how to watch it with Arn. But it's going to be a good time. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Join in on all the fun right now at adfreeshows.com. But without further ado, let's get into the questions. Mike Whitaker wants to know, was there ever a storyline for you to turn on Rick and join the NWO? And if presented with such a storyline, would you have done it? Well, you can't say you wouldn't have done it if it would have been told to me, this is what we're going to do. Had I had my druthers, just wasn't a good fit. I don't think anybody would have bought it. Uh, my heart wouldn't have been in it. It just don't think it would have flown. Jason wants to know, do you think the WWE should have ever brought back the television title and have it defended on TV each week? I think that was one of the things that separated WCW from WWE. Uh, Television title was something that uh, you could go out and have a tremendous performer. If I can put myself in that category, who had a lot of uh, positive thoughts about going 20 minutes on television every single week. You could go out and and make that 
championship means something. That's what I tried to do. It's what Austin tried to do. Steve Regal tried to do. You know, that, that was a, it was like a badge of courage, if you will. It was uh, one of those championships that probably got over a little bit more than it was intended to. Do you think they made a mistake in, in bringing in the U.S. title instead of the TV title? I mean, I guess I understand if you already had the Intercontinental, maybe you could convince yourself that the the U.S. title makes sense since there was a European, if you're just going with the sort of geographical theme. But the TV title does feel like it could have been different because it at least had quote-unquote rules. It wasn't just another belt. You had a different set of rules for the TV title. I think that could have worked in WWE. Well, I have to, and I don't do this very often, but I got to disagree with you. And I'll tell you why through experience, no one was going to get 20 minutes on TV. Mm. So if you're trying to have that same championship mean as much, it, you had to get, you know, that was the whole thing. 20 minutes, you made the loop with the guy once or twice at the most. And then that time limit went to 30 minutes. And then when you had a 30 minute match and at 31 minutes, you got beat, but you kept the championship. It meant something. You were never, ever going to get that time on the WWE product. Jason has an interesting question. I don't think I've ever seen it sort of put this way. Do you think that at any point, Ollie was ever jealous of flair being the quote unquote leader of the horseman champion and center of attention? And I think this comes to us as a question, Arn, because over the years, we've seen Ole do a ton of interviews where he would sort of point out that he was annoyed with Rick and he wanted to, he wanted to make him the champion. So he was out on the road more and he didn't have to deal with him as much. And he felt like he had the same match every night and he wanted to have a 40 minute match and he could have had the same match in 10 minutes and just on and on and on the same criticism of Ole. Do you think that there was perhaps some bitterness that Rick was sort of quote unquote, the guy, and maybe Ole was not at that point. I don't think it's ever been with Ole about being the champion or being the very top guy, because there was a time when, you know, he had his, you know, his hands on the throttle. He could have made himself champion if he'd have wanted to, um, if he would have pushed hard enough for it. He didn't, I don't think Ole ever wanted to be the world champion because he knew the travel that was involved, he definitely would not have been up for that. He knew the number of days working that involved. He would not have been up for that. Um, any problems that they had, it could have possibly just been over, you know, and I don't think it was jealousy over money because only, you know, when you're owner or part owner of a company back in the day when he was, and plus he was uh, working on top, only made a very, very good living. Um, I just think that, that they had, you know, Ole had an idea about entering work, you know, and he used to chew me out all the time. Why are you taking those goofy-ass bumps? Well, somebody got to fall down was my response. And, and I think Rick's style, because it was a pattern, and Ole, you know, would watch Rick have his match, and there was a pattern to it, but that's what people wanted to see. They wanted to see the upside-down bump. They wanted to see him take two steps and fall on his nose. You know, that that was part of the deal. And uh, before Rick put the ha-ha into his matches, Rick would go out and he would chop you to death for 60 minutes, you know. And he didn't get over doing the ha-ha. He was just able to add the ha-ha in after he got over. And I think that was the discrepancy between Ole 
and Rick, it was the style of work and the style of match. I think one last question from Jason. He says, if you and Tully were going to stay in the WWF, were you guys going to drop the titles to demolition at WrestleMania six? It's an interesting question. I don't think we've ever talked about what the creative could have been. Had you stayed with the company? Did you have any idea what the plans were for you guys moving forward? Had you stuck around? Well, they had a history, you know, demolition had had the titles for, for a long time, I think right at a year before we took them. So if we had to stay, there would have been no problems. If, if the guy's word would have been good and our money would have been right. I think he would have went with us because it was working. The only reason it got cut off short, obviously is because we put in our notice, but we could have very well held those titles for, you know, a year or so. And, and made the rounds with, with every team that they had or every team that came in, you know, it would sure have been a blast. It's a shame it didn't work out. Certainly wasn't on our end. So a more lighthearted question here. James wants to know if you've ever seen buff Bagwell and his appearance on the gigolo series that was on showtime where he, uh, portrayed himself as a male escort. Heard about it. You know, not my style of viewing. <laughs> I don't care what anybody does when they close their bedroom door. None of my business. Just not my, not my first choice. I'm a discovery channel guy. Um, but anyway, I uh, never saw the show did hear about it. You know, I heard all kind of rumors about all these huge amounts of money. Those guys were making who knows, you know, if it worked out for him, good for him. Well, uh, let me just say you didn't miss much. Uh, Owen wants to know, he says recently, Rick Flair has said that the rock is making a biography picture on him and, uh, also a television show being developed by someone else and his character in the 1980s. Of course, we've heard about lots of interest in this over the years and who knows if it'll ever happen, but let's, let's pretend for a minute. Hypothetically, it does. Owen wants to know who would you like to have play yourself and who might be a good person to portray Rick Flair? Uh, how about me playing me? I like that. I mean, Since I've always looked, you know, from day one, everybody says I looked 40 Yeah. when I, when I was 25. Now I'm 61. They say, okay, you look 50. So, you know, I think with a little, uh, just for men beard dying, a <laughs> few touches here and there, maybe, uh, something to hold my gut in a little bit. I just play me. That'd be fun. I'd be for that. How about the lion King or the tiger King or whatever he is. Have you seen it's that? It's on, on Netflix right now. That's awesome. Playing Rick. Oh, that would be tremendous. If we, if we had Joe exotic playing Ric Flair, my goodness, I feel like Joe exotic is the missing six man tag team partner of diamond Dallas page and, <laughs> and Michael Hayes. <laughs> you said that, not me. That's true. Um, you know, you know, what's, what's hilarious about that <clears throat> is, um, I mean, this thing has blown up. It's, sure. it's. You know, people are stuck at home and they're looking for a different alternative viewing and all that. And this, we heard about it and heard about it and heard about it before we decided to watch it. That's Aaron and I. We watched that. And when it was over and we watched the whole series over, you know, a couple, three days, whatever it was, she said, you know what horrifies me? <laughs> I don't think all those people are that weird. 
Now she's grown up in the wrestling business. Right. She's seen some, some crazy stuff being around Rick all these years. <laughs> she is so jaded, just like me that that, that whole thing just didn't come across as being that out of bounds. Now, once you see the whole series and you go back and look at it, you go, wow, the, something was really quirky about everybody in that, in that show. Absolutely. Then it starts to pile on you a little bit, but, uh, it was, it was entertaining. That's for sure. It's uh it's remarkable that that's the takeaway because I think a lot of people have sort of drawn a correlation between some of the silliness of that show and, and professional wrestling. You know, we saw a tiger once come to the ring in WCW with Scott Steiner. Do you remember uh Ric Flair or any of the boys ever saying he wanted to buy a fucking big cat? Absolutely not. <laughs> I don't I mean he had a real big dog once, Sergi. <laughs> But I don't know about having, you know, yeah. I don't know about having a lion or a tiger just roaming around. I think the only thing Flair ever collected over the years were, were deers, the, you know, the two-legged kind. Uh, Michael Eldridge wants to know, was there ever a time Arn came close to, or actually did have a quote unquote accident in the ring? And to be clear, Arn, he's not talking about maybe a slip and fall. He's talking about the bubble guts. No, I lucked out and I did not. Um, knew a few guys that did. That was usually when somebody would be sick or something and probably shouldn't have been in the ring or maybe they ate too late. Uh, never had one of those deals. Thank God. That would have been uh, very uncomfortable. Michael Eldridge also has a good question about some of the sillier moves, uh, in wrestling, like the people's elbow or the five knuckle shuffle. Do you have any thoughts on, on the entertainment aspect of those moves being, I don't know, quote unquote, devastating or finishing maneuvers? Well, as long as everyone understands what they are, you know, you, the hard ass in me, the guy that grew up in this business wants everything to be at least on the surface, legitimate, look legitimate, feel legitimate. If you get jarred around a little bit, so be it. That's what we do. Uh, but that's part of the entertainment part of these guys, you know. You know, the the rock part of his routine is, is lighthearted, you know. Same thing with Cena, you know. they got to put a little bit of entertainment in there. That's, that's what they do. That's what makes you feel good about them is they entertain you a little bit, I, you know. We all have our preferences and, uh, everything can't be a kill shot, but, uh, I see where he's coming from. Yeah. I mean, listen, uh, as silly as it may have been, yeah. people loved it. Uh, last one from Michael. This is an interesting one. He's going to say, you've got to make a choice here. I think you'll have fun with this. A, a scaffold match. B, you are the glacier gimmick or C you're the honorary member of three count. What would you pick? Wow. <laughs> what does he want? Why don't he just still get 10 foot hold and have me jump in it and cover me up? Arn as, as Glacier fucking makes me laugh out loud almost as much as you and Hurricane Helms dancing together. Well, I listen, I could do a boogaloo if I need to do. That's not a big deal. And a slow moving block of ice, which is the way. I think the voiceover went when they were trying to 
promote glacier, a slow moving chunk of ice. <laughs> I could pull that off. <laughs> That's about what I am, a slow moving something. I don't know if it's a block of ice or what, but these days I could pull that off. Big Extra wants to know, hey, Arn, you've mentioned a few times how your son Brock wants to get in the business. Is he still pursuing that? How's it going for him? And uh, who's training him, if anyone? Uh, yeah, we've been to the ring about about eight times. Of course, this, this catastrophe we're going through worldwide has put the brakes on that for now. But uh, we're not under any short, uh, short time on this. Uh, it's going to be when he's ready, and it's going to be down the road. But he is... So far, he's handled it real well. He's doing real well. You know, he has studied and watched and everything you can do from an outside perspective. And, uh, you know, he's came home. He's been sore. He's took a bunch of hot baths. And uh, he's realized that it's a tough business. And uh, he's doing a great job. I, I have nothing but positive thoughts about where he may go in the future. Lots of, uh, folks really love your, your promo work back in the day. And, and I think most of the time, what they point to is the stuff you did with Jim Crockett promotions, but bad money slim points to a promo from July 29th, 1996, the NWO had jumped WCW wrestlers, including yourself. And then the next week on August 5th, the horseman beat up the booty man and sent a message to Hogan and you have a line that says they send one of yours to the hospital. You send one of those to the morgue. He thought it was such a great promo and, and we'll play the audio here for it. Now we'll, me and you will lay out and I'll play the audio for the listeners here. You've already okay. made a mistake that jumps off the page. You're going to take a baseball bat to a horseman, finish the job because there's one rule of gang fighting. See, we are the original gang and we're the most vicious in all of professional wrestling history. They send one of yours to the hospital. You send one of theirs to the morgue. You've already really a tremendous line. Is that just all off the cuff? You thinking about that through the day? How do you put together such a killer promo like that? Even now, when I know what you're going to say, it's a goosebump line. Well, I, I have to tell the truth. I'm a lot of things. I'm not a liar. There was a little, uh, plagiarism there. I stole that line from the untouchables, Sean Connery. Uh, the promo itself, other than that one line, did come from me. And in the previous week, when the NWO had beat myself up and beat Ray Mysterio up and all those guys, and they loaded us all into one ambulance, and there's Rick, and there's Sting, and they're sitting across from each other and with all their storied history, that became real in that moment. And the next week, I just, it just felt real and, uh, promos are something number one, if they're not a promo, if it's the person basically just recapping history and doing it in his own way, it doesn't come across as a promo. And I think that's a secret is don't talk at the audience, talk to the audience and give them something that in their everyday life that they can relate to what you're trying to say. And if you hit home with some, with most people in that fashion, it will resonate with them and your message will get through. And that's just 
what I tried to do and uh, speak to everybody on their level where they could understand what I was talking about. And if you're talking about situations on television, sometimes no matter how small, if something happened last week that was match changing or career changing, and it was something that didn't even involve you, but as a character on the show and that being part of a family, you go back and comment on that it makes it bigger and it makes it real. And it's like, wow, well, he's not even involved with that guy to go back and spend valuable TV time. It must be important to him. And, and I don't think we do enough of that. Interesting, uh, question here from Jared Robertson that I don't think we've ever really touched on, at least from your perspective, what did you think about Starcade moving from Thanksgiving to Christmas? And do you think it was just to get away from the survivor series? Who knows what their reasoning was? It, it just, if it ain't broke, don't, don't fix it, you know? And, and that company, you see so much of that fixing things that aren't broke, you know, Starcade is Greensboro Starcade is Thanksgiving and that's it. There's no reason to mess with that. And they went back as a company and ran Greensboro and ran Starcade for the first time, and they saw the response they got. Should have told them something. Yeah, they should have. Let's talk about another guy who uh, should have been a bigger deal. Uh, the Ministry of Countryside writes in, if things hadn't played out the way they did and he had joined the WWF, how far do you think Gino Hernandez would have gotten and alternatively, do you think he would have been a good traveling NWA champion? It looks like he had all the tools to succeed in either place. What say you? Well, from a performance slash appearance slash having all the tools from what I've seen, and I've just seen the series that's on right now, dark side of wrestling is mostly the most of what I've seen of Gino, I'd heard about him. People have told the stories limited about Gino. The people I've been around, you know, Tully talked about him a little bit. He was partners with him for, for a period. Um, but he, Gino kind of stayed in that one part of the country. He didn't make the rounds. So I didn't run into a lot of people over the years that really knew him and traveled with him or anything like that. But I just, you know, like everybody else in those days, in the 80s, if you wanted to find out about wrestling, you opened up a wrestling magazine. And I would see him featured in those and and uh, some of those situations. But I think he was a tremendous talent, certainly left us too soon. But as far as knowing him personally, I don't know enough about his personal habits to tell you one thing about being the world champion that everyone has to understand. you got to be in a different city, sometimes a different area of the country, sometimes a different area of the world all in one week. And you're doing 45 to 60 minutes every single night. you got to show up. No matter who their opponent is for you, you got to go out and make them look like a credible challenger so that after you have your match and you leave that territory, the person you work with is better for it. If you don't, 
You're not you're not performing your job as the world champion. That's your job to travel the entire world, or it was back in the day. Travel the entire world and make every challenger better than what they are. So when you leave there, you go, Jesus, he almost had him. So you leave their their territory, their company in better shape than it was before you got there. And that was the job of the world champion, which meant you have to, you can't party too much. You got to get enough rest. You got to eat good. You got to do all those things, make your planes, make sure that you don't miss any flights, any of that stuff. It's a, it's a very, very tough job and one that you've got to be really responsible to pull off. You know, Arne, some of these questions just keep coming up. Speaking of things that keep coming up, how about your dick? If you love sex, you'll love bluechew.com. You see bluechew.com offers men a performance enhancement for the bedroom at bluechew.com. You get the world's first chewables with the same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. And a bluechew.com affiliated physician will work with you to find the right dose and active ingredient that works for you. Chewables can work faster and the chewables from bluechew.com can be taken on a full or empty stomach. By the way, the online physician console is free, so it's cheaper than those other two. And it only takes a few minutes to connect with a bluechew.com affiliated physician. And if you qualify, well, you get prescribed online very quickly. No in-person doctor visit, no awkward conversation, no waiting in line at a pharmacy. It ships directly to your door, all in discreet packaging. And the chewables from bluechew.com are made right here in the USA. Bluechew is going to give you confidence in bed every time. You and your partner will love it, so chew it and do it. And here's a great deal for you guys. Visit bluechew.com and get your first order for free when you use our promo code ARN. Just pay $5 shipping. That's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com and the promo code is ARN. Conrad from Huntsville wants to know, what did you think when you saw that the revival was finally released from their WWE contract last week? What do you think? <laughs> the laugh you just had is exactly what I did. Matter of fact, I got a uh, message from Dawson uh, the night before, which would have made two nights ago, and he said about 9 a.m. there will be some, some good news show up, and that's all he said. Well, 9 a.m., it hit. It, little, it surprised me a little bit um, that they would let him go scot-free. That's the way it should be. Did you talk, Just from, did you talk to him? Text him. Uh, he's, got, he's got an interesting story about that. If you don't know okay. all the details. So he probably doesn't want me to say it here on the show, but it's uh it's an interesting story it's a different it's a different approach for wwe that's for sure i'll say that well let he and i talk so that we have a confidentiality uh is is kept intact and then maybe we'll talk about it on the next show it's it's going to be remarkable because it's interesting uh i think so many fans just assume because they've sort of been jawjacking with the young bucks on social media for a few years and in addition to that, you know, fans have sort of fantasy booked that as a tag team match. And then, uh, you've often talked about how much you would enjoy managing them. I think everybody just assumes they're going to show up in AEW, but, and, and, and I do think that'll be tremendous. I got to say though, it feels like we need to at least see them in an NWA ring once. I mean, they're working that throwback gimmick. It looks so much like you and Tully and just wrestling on an NWA canvas, even if it's just for one time. 
just feels like it ought to be. I mean, it's such a cool gimmick and I'll just think the world of those guys. And I'm glad that they're free to sort of do what they want right now. And it's going to be an interesting summer for them. I would, I would suspect. Wouldn't you agree? I would think they would be the hottest commodity in the business right now. And I think everybody is going to be vying for them. Whoever ends up eventually getting them will be a much better company for it. They are the most unselfish, uh, giving guys I have seen come along in a long time. And they have that same mentality that Tully and I and the horsemen, you know, the original horseman and, and the Barry Wyndham version and, you know, that we had. And that was go out and steal the show and make everybody in that arena just blow themselves up, either cheering or booing during that match. And I think these guys have the talent. They have the ability. Wherever they land, they're going to be very, very lucky company. And I hope that if you're a fan of this show and maybe you haven't seen much of their stuff, you'll go out of your way to see some of their stuff. If you had the privilege of seeing them on a house show, you got to see what they could really do when they had some time. You saw that same thing when they were with, uh, doing the NXT takeovers. I mean, they had a series of matches there that are just going to be tough to compete with. And, you know, they had a little homage to you and Tully sometimes from their, from their ring jackets to the stripes on their boots, very Anderson style. It's, uh, it's kind of cool to see how much they've looked up to what you and Tully did and, and tried to sort of carry on the tradition without being, a, I don't know, you, you've seen sometimes where the sequel isn't nearly as good as the original and it just feels like a cheap carbon copy. I think these guys are aiming to, to meet or exceed expectations with a similar look and style. Well said. So take a Grant. look, look forward to it wherever they wind up, whatever that may be. Yep. Hey, I am very, very, uh, honored that they took some of our stuff, put their own twist on it. Some cases made it better. And, uh, if anybody looks at them and go, God, they're, they're working like the brain busters. Then I'm honored that somebody looks at it that way. You ever have a conversation with Tully about them as a tag team? Not really. Not really. I don't know why. And, and, you know, to be honest with you, I bet you, because before coming back to work with AEW, Tully had been off the radar, and I mean really off the radar for a long, long time. I doubt very seriously if he'd watched very many wrestling shows on television. Right. I bet you he is not plugged into those guys. Wouldn't take him long to get plugged into them. Uh, obviously, just food for thought, the way things happen. Tully's looking for a partner for Sean Spears. God damn. What a couple of partners those guys would make. Just food for thought. Could be interesting. Can't wait to see what happens. Josh Kuhn has a fun uh, question that we can sort of lighten the mood with. Does Arn have any good or, or funny stories about Lois Shivani? No, other than the fact that she's got to a lot of days just grit her teeth and sh <laughs> shake her head. Yeah. Living with Tony cannot be that much fun. Now he's a, he's a sourpuss. He's, he's a moody old cuss. And, uh, you know, he would say, Oh, well, Lewis made me this way, but I don't know about that. I think, uh, I think she got the raw end of that deal. Well, all I have to do, it's, it's amazing. is just like, I'll text him, you know, what's up, Anthony. 
and the the cursing diatribe he goes on in response is just unbelievable. It's like I just told him, hello, I'm your neighbor next door. I just ran over your dog. You need to come outside. It's one of those type deals. Uh, he is just a angry little fellow. Matt Miller has an interesting question that I think a lot of people have been talking about. You mentioned it a little while ago, the dark side of the ring. Uh, it airs uh, Tuesday nights on vice. And tonight there's a new episode with the Jimmy snooker story. I think it's going to be the most controversial dark side of the ring ever. And I think, uh, the Twitter universe will be a buzz tomorrow. If you haven't had a chance to check this series out, I can't recommend it enough, but episode one of season two was about Chris Benoit. And of course we know how that story ended, but the thing that a lot of people were talking about at the end was that Nancy Benoit or Nancy Sullivan or woman, whatever you want to call her. She deserved an opportunity to be in the hall of fame. And, and, and I can get behind that. Matt writes in, I was wondering if there was ever any talk of bringing Nancy in as a manager or a valet in the WWE. Of course you were there, uh, sort of behind the scenes when Benoit was a singles competitor. Did you ever hear about any rumblings of maybe her being his valet during any of that time? No, I don't think so. Uh, pretty sure that. That that never came up. Um, Benoit was, you know, on a trajectory to make it all by himself. He didn't need anybody, and I don't think you would have brought Nancy in in that in that capacity. Now, when she was with Rick and she was with us, she did a great job. Uh, when she was with Kevin, all those years, you know, in the beginning, she did a great job. She was. Big asset to the business in my mind, and a nice person, and a sweetheart, and a friend. And uh, I don't think anything ever came up that I can remember in the WWF as far as bringing Nancy in. I don't think so. Creating Heat wants to know who, in your opinion, had the best and most consistent and good looking dropkick you'd ever seen? Brad Armstrong. I feel like that's always everybody's answer. Uh, me and uh, a buddy of mine were talking about that the other day that I think what we were watching at the time, believe it or not, was dynamite kid and tiger mask from Madison square garden in like 82 or 83 super spectacular match way ahead of its time. And somebody pulled out a drop kick and we both remarked, man, that was like a Brad Armstrong level one. And then I just got to thinking when a guy has that much natural ability, we're almost all of his peers say, oh, he's one of the best we ever saw. What kept a guy like Brad Armstrong from just jumping in the car and driving up to MSG and just getting a shot in New York? Uh, was he just content and, and raised in an era where, you know, your life was you go wrestle and then you spend the next day at the beach. And if you're doing that, man, what more is there to ask for? Did, did Brad have any aspirations of trying to quote unquote, make it in the big time, or was he content with making a living in the wrestling business and, and having a good quality of life? Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, during the time that Brad was flourishing, we were still in the big man era, right? You know, that I can't stress that enough. That was a one, one single thought process. How big is he? How tall is he? How's his body look? Brad looked great. Great looking athlete. But he was six foot tall. And he was 225 pounds. In our business, that's a small guy. 
One thing I think that held Brad back more than anything, the Brad James, the guy in the back, the Brad Armstrong walking around the locker room, messing with everybody, goofing on everybody. If when that red light came on, he could have brought that to television, that character, that guy, and he would have had to have some help. He would have had to have the announcer cater to him. But if that guy could have ever been pulled out, Brad would have been a huge star because that's all Brad did was walk around and crack jokes and mess with people in the locker room. I don't think he ever sat down. Right. But when you when you put him at that podium, you put a microphone in front of him, he almost became Bob Armstrong light, if that makes any sense. Sure. He sounded like his dad you know, and but he sounded like Brad trying to be his dad. And Bullet Bob was over. People believed him. They believed in him. When he cut a promo, you believed it. And he was a tough guy. So there was a credibility factor there that was dead on. And I think Brad, if he could have ever pulled that off and just been himself in front of that mic, God knows where he would have been. I can tell you, and we find ourselves talking about him all the time. Anybody that's ever worked 20 minutes with Brad Armstrong comes back through the curtain smiling, going, God Almighty, I see what everybody's talking about. He was just that good. Let's take a different approach to that same type of conversation. Creating Heat wants to know, was there ever an opponent or a tag team that you felt no matter what, you just couldn't get a good match with them due to bad chemistry or for whatever reason, it just doesn't click. It's not that the guy's a bad performer. Y'all just didn't mesh for whatever reason. You were never on the same page. And the result was never the match you really hoped for. Well, I'm not sure that I was ever a hundred percent happy with probably 70% of my matches, but I put a lot of that inward. I blame myself with a lot of stuff because, and again, I have my own set of rules as far as believing what a top heel should be in this business. And, uh, my feeling is if you're going to claim to be a top heel and you're going to ask for time and you're going to ask for interview time, you better be able to fill it. And I feel like a top heel should be able to go out with anybody. doesn't matter who, and have a passable match. Now, in my mind, a lot of matches were passable. They weren't good and they weren't great, but I take a lot of that on myself, just maybe limiting myself as far as the offense that I have. If I would have had more offense, maybe I could have made that better. But I I never looked at a guy and just went, well, that guy's just a shit, so I can't have a match with him and just give up because if you're booked with him and your name is written down beside him, your job is to go out there and hold your end up. And if by chance he can't hold his up, then you got to cover it for him because that's your job description. Now, that's changed over the years, you know. Um, so much pre-planning and so much stuff that's etched in stone when you come through the curtain and you get in the ring and – no matter what, even though it's not getting over, guys go ahead and go with it, and they don't listen and they don't hear the audience' lack of reaction or reaction or the wrong reaction or whatever it may be. 
guys are just not skilled enough because they don't have enough experience just going out and ad-libbing and just having a match. And uh, I never put the blame on the opponent, even though I might have felt it inwardly. There was nobody that just stood out that I couldn't have a match with at all, other than those that have been discussed on this show. Whose clothesline was nastier, Stan Hansen or JBL? Probably Stan. JBL's was, from what I saw, nice and snug. Stan, who I don't think the rib is, he can't see that well. Right. I think that might be a rib from Stan because everyone he throws looks like a decapitation. I'm sure if you move it up an inch or two, you're going to be having a broke jaw or some teeth missing. If you move it down an inch or two, you may have a cracked sternum. But uh, everyone I've seen looks vicious, and I'm sure talking to the guys that have worked with him in Japan, they look exactly the way they are. Uh, interesting question here about a, a sort of long lost free bird that we don't ever talk about. Creating Heat wants to know Does Arn have any good Jimmy Jam Garvin stories? Uh, Jimmy was just a, you know, he was just a lighthearted guy. You know, I always thought, you know, becoming one of the free birds was just, you know, I don't know if it was a perfect fit for Jimmy. Jimmy was just a, to me was a very good baby face. And when he had that head full of friggin' hair, he was actually a handsome devil, believe it or not. You wouldn't know that to see him today. Well, he looks like me walking around here, but, uh, he was a really good baby face, had a lot of baby face skills. I know him and Michael enjoyed being partners and they enjoyed the nightlife and, and, you know, all the things, the playing golf during the day and all the things they did together. Uh, I just think Jimmy was a really good baby face. And for that era of time when he was with Patty and, you know, they had a good gimmick. They really did. They were good together. Let's talk about somebody else who was good together. You know, lots of people are stuck at home right now. Uh, thankfully, a lot of us are actually abiding by that and staying home. Is there one tag match you can recommend on the network that people go check out? Like if you were going to sit down and watch a great tag match, what would you recommend that, that anybody check out? Oh gosh. Um, can I say us? Of course you can. Okay. I think, and it's because of, of those guys go, go back and watch any of the brain buster rocker matches. I know they have some from Madison square garden, the Boston garden, some different places. I think Hershey Saturday night main event when we're on our way out, uh, we're good. Um, I would suggest, and I haven't seen anything, to say that it's there, but I would think if you've got some some uh, rockers and demolition, maybe. Uh, Midnight Express did a great job with uh, the Road Warriors as far as working with those guys. Uh, Tully and I, maybe, from uh, Chicago, working with the Road Warriors. All were pretty good matches, from my recollection. Let me give some dates here. March 11th, 1989. That's a Saturday night's main event against the rockers. It's March 11th, 1989. 
And then, uh, as you heard Arn mention towards the mm-hmm. end of 89, they did it one more time. That's September 25th, 1989. Also a Saturday night's main event. I think that's probably the more famous of the two. Wouldn't you think? I would think so. Yeah. So two out of three falls. Yes, sir. November 89 Saturday night's main event, two out of three falls. There's your tag match boys and girls. Um, (laughs) are you familiar with the game F Mary kill? So here's the concept. Yeah, I know what that is. Okay. No, thanks. Well, it's Tony Schiavone, Jim Ross and Eric Bischoff. Let's have some fun with this. You got to marry Tony, right? Lord. No. Okay. He's he's too horny. He'd be following me around all over the house. He's got about eight kids. That's true. I didn't think about that. Well, God, that's a horrifying thought. You couldn't marry Jr. either then. Cause if you follow him on Twitter, uh, he's, he's ripper and ready to go. Thanks to blue chew. Yeah. No, thanks. I can't imagine you. you, And I, and I love Jr. Just, yeah. So you're marrying Eric Bischoff? No, I'm going to stay single. You know? <laughs> uh, I had a feeling that's where we would wind up, but it's always worth asking. No disrespect, Eric. I just, uh, you know, I would like to go see his place out in Montana. I bet it's gorgeous. Probably free of all this stuff we're going through here these days with the uh, coronavirus but uh that's about where it ends how about he told me uh he told me yesterday on the on the show that uh there's six people per square mile in his state six people per square mile wow well if those folks will just just stay out of town they should be free and clear right i mean you gotta think Matt Dundee writes, does R know anything about the famous Lex Luger bruiser Brody cage match where Brody didn't sell anything and Luger just left the ring. That feels like something that would have become wrestling legend in the locker rooms. Well, it, it, you just laid it out exactly the way it went down for whatever reason. Uh, and I didn't know Brody. I knew of him. I knew that, uh, he took care of himself in the ring. I knew he was snug and, he protected himself and his look matched his work and his work matched his look. And apparently he didn't want to be in that match. Now I've, I've watched it on tape and all indicators are Brody just didn't want to sell for Luger. And I mean, Lex could probably tell you the story better than anybody else, but I, after trying to get a guy Brody size and with his credentials to sell for you and he's not going to, you got one or two choices. You could shoot yourself in the head and lay down and that'd be the end of it. Or probably just get on out of there. There really wasn't a lot of options because that could have went on forever from what I saw. And Brody was not going to sell for Lex. Um, and Lex was at a point in his career. He didn't really know how to handle it. I think the thing would have been that might've got him through that a lot better would be if he just started selling for Brody and for an extended period of time. And Brody would have finally got the picture. And I think probably gave Lex more than what he did, but it just looked like a back and forth without Brody giving much headway at all. Mike has a question here. He wants to know, does Arn own the name Arn Anderson? How does that work? You always hear about Vince McMahon wanting to protect his IP. 
Uh, did you ever have a chance or ever consider trademarking your wrestling name? I do have it trademarked. And I think you and I had a conversation when I was taking you from my home back over to your temporary condo, which is over close to my house. I was taking you back home after we had our discussion about doing this podcast. And I said something along the lines of, I sure would like to make some money off of being me since everybody else has. Remember that? I do. And, uh, came across a excellent lawyer through some connections that I have. And, uh, he was able to get my name trademarked. It is up in my, uh, trophy room right now. And I can spend at least the next seven years and longer than that, if I renew it, being me and, uh, <laughs> being me is really <laughs> No barrel of monkeys most days, but there's sometimes it's okay to be me. And, uh, I like to be able to do that when I need it. Shout out to our gimmick attorney, Mr. Michael Dawkins. Bingo. Uh, Greg writes in Would a healthy 25 year old Arn have wrestled at WrestleMania this year, or would he have stayed home? Uh, no, I would have wrestled, you know, remember I'm the guy that said he didn't know you could say no. Right. And I still don't know that when I work for an employer and they say, this is what I would like you to do, especially in the wrestling industry where everything is subjective. Anybody can look at the same, anything in the wrestling business, two people sitting there side by side and have two different opinions of it. So, when I am at one thing that's been, always been crystal clear, the guy that sends my check to my house and takes care of my family, that's the guy that I'm going to do exactly what he says because it's the greatest place on earth, the greatest industry on earth to make a living. I'm very thankful to be a part of it. And all I can say is yes, because God knows I've been had some really stupid things over the years uh, suggested to me and I came to a point where you could make that decision in my head. Okay. Am I going to do this? Which I really don't think is the right thing to do. And 10 out of 10 times I went ahead and did it. And the next day it wasn't that big a deal as it was the night before when presented. So, uh, I'll just always do what's asked of me. That's it. Josh Floyd wants to know who was the toughest wrestler to turn on your patented spine buster. What does he mean turn? Well, I mean, you pick the guy up and you turn him around and then drop him down. Oh, the hardest guy to give it to. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, the one that you would have thought it would have been, would have been Vader, but he was the, one of the easiest just showed what an athlete the guy was. I mean, this guy was 400 and some pounds. And it felt, it just felt like he floated up. And, uh, a lot of that is on his timing and just going with it and, and letting me, if he'll start up, I could get the rest of it done and get him turned. Um, Barry Darso demolition took a great spine buster. Um, 
I don't really have anybody that's really made it look horrible to my recollection. So nothing comes to mind. John Ryan wants to know, what are your thoughts on Kevin Dunn? Next. I like it. Uh, interesting question from Ben here. Any fun or interesting stories of working with the heart foundation and the WWF? I feel like we talk about demolition a lot. I feel like we talk about, you know, the rockers a lot, but the heart foundation, uh, one of the, uh, the staples of the WWF tag team scene in the eighties, any good stories about working with those guys? I loved your SummerSlam match with them. I think that's the only time that we wrestled them. Really? Think so. I'm pretty sure that was it. And it was one time only, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, and it was at a pivotal point in our existence. I think most people thought we were going to lose that match. Yes. Which always makes it nice. And, uh, we had enough time. There's that, that word again, having enough time. Uh, Neidhart was a steamroller. Brett was the technician. So, uh, that's kind of the, the reflection in the mirror of what we tried to present. I was more of the power guy. Tully was the technician. So from a perspective of analyst sitting down, calling that match, I would think he would have had plenty of stuff to work with. Um, I know we really enjoyed it and certainly enjoyed the outcome because most people didn't think that was going to happen. I love that match. And we should mention it. SummerSlam 89. It's the opening match on the show. They get more than 16 minutes. The little nuance stuff that you and Tully do just jumps off the screen. Uh, if you're an aspiring wrestler and you want to be a tag team wrestler, that's a great place to start. Uh, Carolina jackpot tweets. How scary was it trying to get to the dressing room the night you Rick and Oli broke dusty's ankle in the cage at the Omni. I got to be honest with you. I didn't think we were going to make it. Where it really started to get hairy is when that door opened and we started to step out and we were right on top of each other. And the fans just surged forward and shoved that cage door back shut. That's the first time I've been in the ring where reality set in and I went, Oh God, I got no control over this right now. Forget about going forward. That moment in time, I felt trapped big time and we were trapped. And, you know, I said before, kudos to the Atlanta police department. There was about 10 police officers that had not seen anything of that magnitude before the ones that, and it was usually the same guys that work wrestling matches, no matter where you are in an arena across the country, you'll start to see police officers faces become familiar because that was one of their moonlighting jobs, which they enjoyed. And it was the same guys and you would start to become friends with them. And back in those days, you know, when I first started in 82, especially out in Louisiana, brother, you get killed in some of those arenas if it wasn't for the police officers. So you develop a bond with them and in talking to them afterwards, when they saw the fans shove that cage door back shut, they knew this wasn't part of the act. This wasn't part of the deal. Things were about to get out of hand. And had they not beat literally beat the fans back. And it took about 20 minutes for us to get, once we got our feet on the floor to get all the way to the locker room, 
took a long time because the cops were really outmanned. Um, I would say there was, at any given time, during that foot trip back to the locker room, there was probably 75 or 100 people trying to get to us. I know that sounds like a lot, but it's absolutely true. That was one of those deals. And I think if you go back and look at it, it went on so long, that beatdown and knocking guys off the cage. When you start knocking the Rock and Roll Express off the cage, the audience's thought process is, nobody's going to save this guy. I better do it. Right. And uh, when you get a frame of mind, who knows who had been drinking, who knows who had knives in their pocket. This was before they did screening. This was pre-9-11, pre obviously. Brother, anything could have happened. And uh, there were stories over the years. Ole got cut real bad in Greenville, you know, in years past. A lot of guys had been in heated situations and had batteries thrown, hit them in the head, you know, pint liquor bottles, you name it. All kind of stuff used to go on. Um, and that one felt like it could get hairy. And, and man, we're all beat up by the time we got back to the locker room. And I'm telling you, mental exhaustion we all had it because every one of us was scared to death I, Ole wasn't even popping off and uh, that says something couple quick questions then we'll wrap this one up Jose wants to know did you ever doubt El Dandy never <laughs> and I named him Lee Ferrigno you know Lou Ferrigno absolutely all right Put a picture of El Dandy next to him, and he looks like somebody took Lee Ferrigno or Lou Ferrigno, excuse me, and threw him in an industrial strength dryer and shrunk him up a little bit, and you have Lee Ferrigno. I like it. Uh, Joseph Miles wants to know I'm trying to decide between a zero bar and a payday. Which one should I get? Oh, why did you have to pit those one against the other? Ah. Uh, I guess on a regular basis, zero bars are awesome. Got to go with payday. Well, let's do one last one or we'll do two more. Tyler wants to know, give us a crazy Rick rude story. Rick rude has, uh, become a legendary figure in wrestling. Of course we lost him way too soon, but he was, uh, an interesting character, not just on screen, but in real life from what we hear any crazy Rick rude stories you can share with us on. Yeah, I think one at least, and it's for all you guys that go to the gym on a regular basis, and you'll know what I'm talking about. I think I thought I was, you know, in a position, been to enough gyms around the world and seen a lot of goofy things going on. One morning, I was in the gym in Charlotte. It was the Gold's Gym up on South Boulevard, and Rude had not been there, but maybe a week he had just came in, and I'm in there working out, and I see him walk in. He goes over and lays down on the bench. So I'm close enough that I can see him. I mean, I might have been 15 feet away. I, I can't remember what exercise I was doing, but I watched him. Rick did 135. He got up. I don't think his eyes ever opened he slid on 225, sat back down, banged out about a dozen reps. I don't think his eyes open. 
Rick got up to about 365, and I'm watching him. He ended up doing 365 on the bench for about 10 reps, sound asleep. He never woke up. Never opened his eyes, never said a word, never made a sound. Never seen anything like that. I don't know how he saw to get the plates and slide them on, but his eyes were shut the entire time. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. You should have seen it. I mean, it's one of those things where you're, where you're looking at a guy and I kept kind of looking at him so that he would make contact so I could cross the distance and introduce myself because he had just gotten to the territory. I'd never met him. I was waiting for him to look at me and it was like an unobstructed view. He never, he never said a word. He never opened his eyes. It's the damnedest thing I ever saw. Last one, then we'll wrap this one up this week. Francis Reyes wants to know, what's the strangest thing you've ever been given by a fan? Well, there's one that really jumps off the page. It, it wasn't a gift, but I guess it was. It was at a signing, I want to say, in Detroit. And it was it was a pretty big one. We were all there. It was a, the first time the horsemen had been back together outside of – Greg Price's show in Charlotte. And I'm not sure if this was before that or after that, but it was all of us and Barry and Tully and Rick and JJ and myself. It was a couple of days right outside of Detroit. It was a big one. And uh, a guy walks up to me and we're signing and it's it's really busy. It's We're having a good day and meeting a lot of nice fans and a lot of people. And a guy walks up, he's got on, uh, he's got on a tank top and he says, um, I just want you to know, you know, ever since I was five years old, you've been my favorite. And it's uh, no one has ever came close and was really generous in his comments and very nice and, and so polite. And he said, uh, no, I don't, I don't think you understand. He says, I, I'm your biggest fan. Well, you know, thank you. And very kind of you. I appreciate it. He says, I'd like to show you something, if, if you don't mind. I said, well, sure. I thought he was going to pull out a picture of me with him as a kid or something. And he pulls that tank top over to the side, and he has a picture tattooed of me on his chest. Oh. Uh, would you mind signing this? Now, I've never refused signing anything. For a fan, if if that's what they want signed, it means apparently a lot to them that it's that item. Not an issue. This one weirded me out. It just did. I just said, well, you know, I'd rather sign something else because, you know, you're eventually going to have to, you know, tomorrow morning or something, you're going to have to take a shower and it's, it's probably going to just wash off. Why don't you let me sign something that will you can keep? I'm not going to wash it. Even more weirded out. Um, to answer the question, no, I did not sign it. I just told him I just wasn't, you know, no offense. Appreciated his devotion, but I'm uh, not comfortable with that. So that would be top of the list. Well, we hope you're comfortable with what we're doing here on the show. We appreciate your support. If you haven't already, leave us a review, hit the subscribe button, and tell a friend about your new favorite wrestling podcast. It's every Tuesday for free right here on Westwood one. 
Uh, and you can also get these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. Now, we recently had Arn tell the story about the behind the scenes fight between Big Van Vader and Paul Orndorff. That is up and available now at adfreeshows.com. And coming up, as we mentioned uh, at the top of the show, we've got a very special episode uh, where we're going to watch Arn and Tully win the belts on NWA Pro back in April 20th, 1988. You don't want to miss that one. And next week, we're back at you for Extreme Rules 2015. Uh, man, this feels like yesterday. Uh, people have really been digging you talking about the more current WWE product, though. Uh, Extreme Rules 2015, of course, went down at the Allstate Arena right there in Rosemont. Uh, on top, it's Seth Rollins and Randy Orton in a steel cage match. The RKO was banned. Kane is the gatekeeper. We've got a last man standing match with Roman and Big Show. Nikki Bella is going to be defending her Divas title against Naomi. John Cena is in a Russian chain match with Rusev for the United States title. New Day are working with some favorites of ours, Cesaro and Tyson Kidd for the tag team titles. Dolph Ziggler and Sheamus are having a kiss my arse match. And Dean Ambrose is working with Luke Harper in a Chicago street fight. That feels like that would happen on another channel these days. This will be fun to go back and revisit. Will it not? You just made me smile. Just mentioning that. So check it out next week. Extreme rules. 2015. We'll see you next Tuesday and every Tuesday right here on Arn. I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Now, um, James, what made you come to Save With Conrad in the first place? Um, I needed a refi. Uh, I've been listening to Conrad's show for a couple of years. It was it was very you know it was very competitive uh, with what I was seeing locally and with my current lender. So I just decided to throw my business at Conrad. Was there anything specific that Conrad said on the shows that kind of made you take that first step? Interest rates are historically low, and two months without a mortgage payment seemed a really good deal. Um, off the top of your head, how much money were you able to save uh, through, say, with Conrad? Man, I don't know what, what the overall savings is going to be. I, I needed to cash out to cover some other um, other uh, outstanding debts, and the the rate I dropped, I was able to drop the rate down by almost a point and um, basically keep my same payment but cash out enough to cover those outstanding debts and um, have a little uh, left over for a rainy day. Oh, that's great. It's pouring down rain here. Would you recommend Save With Conrad to any of your friends or family? Oh, sure. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.